0: This is the Commonwealth City Church Podcast. Thanks for listening. Commonwealth is a church in Lexington, Kentucky. For more info, visit our website at CommonwealthCityChurch.com and follow us on Instagram at ComCityChurch. We hope you enjoy the message.
1: It's involved in that, right? And, and that's the way it is with evangelism in the church. Uh, that, that we, we all get to play a part. Uh, when Pam and I had been married about six months, I won't tell you how long ago that was, but the majority of you were not born at that particular point. Uh, and, and, and we had a, I mean, we were having a terrible time. We just, uh, essentially hated each other's guts. Uh, which is not the best way to start a marriage. Just saying, uh, and, and, and I started working for a guy. I did not know the Lord. As a matter of fact, I couldn't have spelled God if you'd spot, spotted me the G and the D, right? I mean, I, I knew nothing about the Lord. Uh, and, and so I started working for this guy at an office furniture store, and he was so weird. This guy terrified me because during lunch, I'd be sitting at my desk reading my porn like any healthy American male uh, you know, when we didn't have customers, he would be at his desk doing Bible study and preparing an actual Sunday school lesson. I was like, I'd never been around anybody like that. He was just, he was just strange. And so I watched him every day. I mean, I watched him like a hawk, even with the one eye. Right? Uh, and, and, and I'm just, man, I'm, I'm locked into this dude. So we'd be, we'd be moving desks and things because that's what an office furniture store does. I would intentionally drop things on his foot to see his reaction, and there were times that he cursed, and inwardly I'd be like, "Yes, go Christian boy." But he did the weirdest thing anybody's ever done in my life up to that point. He came to me after that and he said, "Hey man," he said, "You know I I, I, I cussed in front of you." He said. I apologize to the Lord already. I repented of that. Uh, but I did that in front of you. And, and, and I need to ask your forgiveness for that as well. Well, at that point, that was my entire vocabulary. Right? So it, To me, it was just English. Uh, and I'm like, dude, yeah, whatever. It's okay. You know? Uh, and, and eventually, God used this guy to get me uh, to go play basketball because my stepbrother and I played ball in a city park. Uh, we, we're the only two Anglos that that played there. Uh, and, and then he invited me to come and play in an air-conditioned building where the only person with a gun was a security guard. It was awesome. Uh, and, and through that, they invited me to play on a team. And they said, it's a church team. I went, really? And they said, yeah, it's, it's it, this is a church. I went, this is a church. I didn't know how little I knew. Uh, and, and so in order to play on the team, I had to go to church twice a month. And so Pam and I started going to church, and one night, been playing ball with my stepbrother. We lived in the same apartment complex, and uh, we, we had, I, I had on a pair of basketball shorts, no shirt, a 10-gallon Stetson, because I wore a cowboy boot and cowboy hats every place I went the majority of my life. Uh, and uh, and my, my stepbrother gave me a, a pair of boots he couldn't wear, so I had on boots, basketball shorts, no shirt, 10-gallon hat, we had beer cans piled up on the table because my stepbrother had been over the night before to watch a game. He and his wife had eaten with us, so there's dishes all over the table. And we were doing laundry, so the couch was full of laundry. These, the, the doorbell rings. I think it's my brother came over to drink a cold one. I swing the door open, just as I am, and there's three ladies there in long dresses. And their eyes got about that big. And, and one of them went you're not Butch Vernon, kind of like a prayer. Oh, please, God, don't let this be Butch <laughs> Vernon, right? Uh, and I said, yes, I am. And they were kind of like, oh. Well, hey, we're from First Baptist Church, Orlando. Can we come in and talk to you about some things for a little bit? And I said, give, give, me, give me one minute. So I closed the door, and I screamed for Pam. And, man, we slung beer cans under the couch. Uh, put all the dirty dishes in the bathtub, threw the clothes just in the bedroom and closed the door. Right? I got all dressed up. I put on a t-shirt. And these three ladies came in and did absolutely the most horrific job of sharing the gospel that you can ever imagine. Later on, I became a certified leader in, a, in a, an evangelism program called uh, Evangelism Explosion. I became a trainer. These ladies were an evangelism explosion team from our church. And they came in, and I've never had those filters that a lot of people are born with. Uh, and, and this lady, is she's going now, you know, uh, I'm a sinner. She's a sinner. Did you know you're a sinner too? And I said, darling, I've spent most of my life working to be the best sinner I can be. And she's going, okay, where do I go from here? You know, and and I kept blowing her out of the water with all this conversation. And then finally at the end, she goes, well, listen, you don't want to pray and receive Jesus, do you? Greatest invitation ever, right? (laughs) And I said, you know, I think I do. And, 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 And that night in our living room, I prayed to receive Christ, and my entire life and the life to come was changed. Uh, Because these three ladies were faithful to do a really poor job of doing what God had called them to do. Because a guy that I worked with was faithful to live out his faith in front of me. Now, here's the deal. I do not have the gift of evangelism. I'm an introvert. I hate talking to strangers. I mean, it takes everything in me to do that. Now, most of you that are around me are what's going, is this you that you're talking about? But really, it, it, takes, it takes a lot out of me. And yet, even though I don't have the gift of evangelism, guess what I do have? I have a call to evangelism. All of us need to play our part. Sometimes we're going to be the fans in the stand praying for the person on the field. But there are times in each and every one of our lives that we ought to be the person administering spiritual CPR. There are times when those opportunities come up. And and I don't know, I don't know what you have in your repertoire. Big word, hear that, to share the gospel with somebody. Most people are afraid I might do it wrong. Well, there is no necessarily wrong. God will take what you do and He'll bring somebody else along. Right? But you need to have something. I we used to teach how to do a personal testimony. The greatest thing that's happened to me in the ministry, I'm involved in simply the story. We learn how to do a five-minute story, right? than have a conversation with somebody uh, and, and talk to them about two or three verses in a passage of Scripture. Ask them questions. Uh, I, I was at a Best Buy here in town, and it started raining, and, and, and um, like, I'm not going out in that. And this guy pulled up right next to me, and he, I'm not going out in that. And, uh, and, and, and this huge storm And I'd been praying, Lord, I want to be faithful to you in the evangelism thing. And one of our key stories is about a huge storm. I was like, oh, crud. Yes. And I said, man, it's a big storm. And he goes, yeah. I said, hey, we're not going anywhere. You got a second for a story? He goes, well. I said, Jesus' and the disciples are in this boat. A big storm came by. I was about to sink. They're freaking out. They wake Jesus up. He gets up and he speaks to the wind and the waves and instantly the storm stops. And here's where the story starts. Jesus looked at the disciples and said, why are you so afraid? You still don't have any faith? And the disciples were terrified of Jesus and said to one another, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? And I said, Man, I said, what do you learn about Jesus? I said, I mean, wouldn't it be, doesn't it make sense they were scared in a storm? A boat's about to sink? Seems like an appropriate time to be afraid. He goes, yeah, but it seems like Jesus had a different expectation for them. And we talked about that for a second. I said, well, what about these guys? The response to a guy that saved their lives is terror. What I mean, what do, what do you see there? He goes, it seems like they learned something about Jesus they had never seen before, that he was more than they thought he was. I went, wow, that's, that's amazing. man!" And, and eventually I had a little bit more, and I asked him, I said, well, what about you? What do you base your knowledge of who Jesus is? And he went, oh, look, it stopped raining. It was raining harder. And he joined Noah out in the parking lot. (laughs) So my witnessing endeavor failed, right? Nope. Trick question. I put a rock in this guy's shoe for the Holy Spirit to, to work and continue to speak to his heart. Sometimes we put rocks in people's shoes. That's what God gives us the opportunity to do. But sometimes we reap the harvest. But the key is we have to be looking. And there has to be gospel. Just inviting somebody to church isn't enough. Paul said, for I shared with you what was shared with me as being the most important. The Christ died on the cross for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he was raised the third day according to the scriptures. That's the crux of the gospel. And somewhere when we're sharing with people, Jesus and the cross and the resurrection have to be included. And Andrew's going to tell us all about that.
0: Chapter 5, uh, verses 1 through 20. We're going to stand in just a moment. That was a great introduction, just all around. Um. <clears throat> thank you Butch for it, it, all comic relief aside thank you Butch for just your story of God's faithfulness to use his displayed and declared word that it doesn't return void doesn't come back empty um, and it's just our prayer that we see that today we're going to We're going to use Mark 5 as a little jumping off point today. We're going to cover quite a bit of ground, just practically, of what it means for us. This is kind of part two of last week, what it means for us to maybe walk in a greater evangelistic expectation um, and hopefully see a, a greater evangelistic culture here in the midst of this family. So stand with me, if you will. Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20, verses 1 through 20. We're going to specifically kind of look at the end of this section together, and let's read Uh, the word of the Lord. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there, there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains and he wrenched the chains apart and broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when Jesus saw him from afar, he, the spirit... Possessed man ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you done with me, Jesus? Son of the most high God. I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly to not send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on a, on a nearby hillside, and he begged them. Saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out, entered the pigs in the herd, numbering about two thousand. They rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told in the city and in the country, and the people came to see what had happened. And there and they came to Jesus and saw the demon possessed man, the one who had been who had, had the legion, sitting there, clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to, to them what had happened to the, to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to, to beg Jesus to depart from their region. And he was getting into as he was getting into the boat, the man that had been possessed with the demons begged him that he might be with him, and he did not permit him. But he said to him, Go home and tell your friends how much, tell them how much the Lord has done for you, and how he has had a mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in all of the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marvelled. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for this truth, this story that you um, lived out, literally lived out, um, this invitation to be people that go and tell what you've done for us. Lord, I pray that you just use this as a great encouragement today for us. I pray that your, your voice and your conviction and your call in our life just be heard and received by all of us, um, that I'm able to get out of the way of that call and just allow you to speak. Uh, Lord, we love you. We thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You guys can be seated. Um, Now, I would love to give a 30-minute detailed exposition on Mark chapter 5. It's it's an incredible story, and quite honestly, it probably deserves that kind of emphasis. But today, we're going to use it as a jumping-off point. Now, I could give a, a little quick bit of application as we kind of navigate through this text. You know, there's lots of things going on here. There's, there's a lot of unclean going on, right? Unclean spirit, unclean home. If you live in the tombs, it's kind of an unclean home. Unclean country. You know, it's a country that is clearly living outside of the covenant of Israel. It's a bunch of pig farmers, okay? That doesn't really go really well with the Levitical law. Um, he's in lots of pain and torment, right? But there's something interesting. This is the first little bit of exposition I want to point out. Is, is when he sees Jesus, he's not confused on who he is, is he? Do you ever notice that? All through the Gospels, people are confused on who Jesus is, except demons. They know exactly who he is. They are clear on who the person of Christ is. And he comes to him and he says, you know, what are you going to do with me? And ask even permission to go into these pigs. We see that Jesus gives, grants that permission. And the demons flee from from this man and run into a herd of pigs. This caused quite the economic frustration, did it not? 2,000 pigs there in an instant and then gone it probably created quite a bit of a economic recession for the bacon and ham industry in the garrisons um we see that the people show back up and what does it say their observation is of this man this maniac that had lived among them it says that they were really honestly probably confused he was sitting in his right mind fully clothed right next to jesus if that's not a great example of what Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, that the old man is gone and the new one has come. His right redeemed mind, mind with the Lord. And then as we look at kind of the conclusion, this is kind of our jumping off invitation today. There's this moment where This man, who we don't even know the name of this man. We know the name of the demons that were in this man, but we don't know the name of this man. And he says he wants to be with Jesus. He wants to go with him in the boat. Uh, First little bit of application there. Somebody whose life has been transformed by Jesus always wants to be with Jesus. That's the first bit of great gospel application. We mentioned last week, if you want a greater confidence or boldness in sharing your faith, it seems to formulaically come or connected to um, the time you spend with Jesus. Remember, remember, remember last week, we mentioned that Peter and John, they were, they were clearly seen to be idiots, what the Bible calls them, common men, uneducated men, out of their minds. But there was a power in them because of the time they had spent with Jesus. And it's the same here. This man desires to be with Jesus. Oh, that that should be all the posture of our hearts. And Jesus' response wasn't to deny his being with him. It was physically, right? It was, you're not going to come with me across the lake to a necessarily safer place. But he says, what? Go home to your friends. Okay. Now that's an interesting statement, right? What kind of friends does the tomb maniac have? Probably not many. So it's probably better translated to say, go home and make friends. Go home and make friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. This guy probably didn't have any friends or any family that claimed him. So go home and establish those relationships and tell them just how much the Lord has done for you. And verse 20, I don't know what, the, I don't know what Mark's summary statement is here in terms of time understanding or timeline, but it says that he went away. And began to proclaim in the Decapolis, so in not even a Jewish area, the Decapolis, how much Jesus had done for him. And what to say? Everyone marveled. Everyone marveled. You know, the, the reality is, and, and, and the application, one of the bit, little applications for us is that, that it's, I'm hopeful today. That there are many testimonies in this room that the Lord has done great things for us truth is we were far worse off than being just possessed by an evil spirit. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were objects of his wrath. We were not friends of God, but enemies of God. And what did he do? He saw us and he saved us through exactly what Butch talked about, through the crucified son and the resurrection in victory over death in the grave. That Paul says, what I received, I give to you as first importance. And so do we, that we were far worse off than a tomb-dwelling Evil spirit possessed maniac. We were an enemy of God, and He's done a work to see us and to save us, and and send us right. Like that's the beauty of this passage is that being saved means that Jesus makes you a missionary, and He does it instantly. Okay, that He didn't have to go through an eight week discipleship training, right? There wasn't a quiz or a test on how much Bible He was able to know. It was. What's the Lord done for you? How much mercy have you received? Can you go and tell? Saved people should always be sent people. There shouldn't be a one, then the other. This should happen simultaneously. So we're going to ask the question of ourselves today. How do we take on this persona? How do we go and tell what the Lord has done for us? We're going to talk about it theoretically a little bit. We're going to give you some, some, some good gospel centrality, gospel foundation, and then we're going to get into a little practical so a few practical models, some of like what Butch was sharing, that, that it's not a requirement, it's just an offer for you to kind of take with you. Um, I want to point out a few other scriptures that are going to kind of frame why we are people that must be go and tell people. One is First Peter chapter three, verse 15. It says, "But in your hearts." Honor Christ the Lord is holy. And here's how we do that. We're always prepared to give an answer or a defense to anyone asked for the reason for the hope that's in us. We're always prepared to give an answer. That is a, that is a byproduct of what it means to honor Christ in our hearts, is that we're prepared to tell about the hope that we have in him. We are people, that that comes with our identity in Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 17, another one for us to look at today. For we are not like so many peddlers of the word of God, But we are people of sincerity, commissioned by God, and inside of God we speak Christ. We're people of sincerity. So how can we prepare ourselves as people of sincerity, as honoring the hope in our hearts, to always be prepared to give an answer? You know, Butch, thank you for your story of God's faithfulness and your invitation to practice that very same effort to share our faith and to be people that share our faith. And we have to confess the the truth of the Word of God. In Romans chapter 10, it says without, uh, Romans chapter 10, verse 17, it it says that with, so faith comes from hearing and and hearing through what? The Word of Christ, the written and read Word of Christ, also the spoken Word of Christ. Faith comes from hearing it. And if we're going to hear it, then it has to be declared. We have to be speakers and tellers, just like the man in the tombs, in the garrisons." Speakers and tellers of what God has done for us. Now, practically, I want to put some things before you, and I want to begin with this gospel centrality. An author, speaker, evangelist, a man named Max Stiles, he's an incredible voice in evangelism. He wrote a book called Marks of a Messenger. Um, he, he asked the, the, the questions, or, or really gives a warning in this book, Marks of a Messenger, on to not lose our gospel centrality. Uh, um, the, the reason I ask the question, "What has the Lord done for you?" is because that's not just a historic look. When I was seven, God saved me. It's what has He done for me now? Like, what is He doing for me today? What places as we sing that song, that song that we sang earlier, as a as a decree and a testimony? Like, Your goodness is running after me. Like, what ways is He doing that? Both historically, past, present, and what is our hope that He might do that in the future? I, I ask that. Because it's important for us to realize that we are consistently and constantly transformed by the work of the gospel. That seems like an obvious thing to say on a Sunday, but here's the warning. It's easy to lose sight of the gospel. It's easy. And I want to show you like a kind of a four-tiered approach at a warning that he gives uh, that, that the gospel can be lost in four seasons or maybe even four generations. And it's this, that we as people accept the gospel. The gospel is accepted. We declare it. We understand it. But then the second one is the gospel can become assumed, can become assumed. Now, here's what I mean by that. Um, When I say, what does it mean for the gospel to become assumed? It's questions like this. Do our prayers recite what the Lord has done for us? Do our sermons? Ouch. Have I preached sermons here that that are good take-home lessons, but maybe lack gospel centrality? And the truth is probably... Probably have accidentally done that. Now, not to the point that I'm trying to be a heretic, but to the point that like, we sometimes will, will assume that everyone has a lens of, of the truth of the gospel and talk the logic or the reason or the practice or the application around it rather than the gospel itself. We can be guilty of that. Is the gospel our go-to solution for the conflicts we face or do we have a more logical fleshly response? How many arguments have you been in with someone you love? Argument might be a strong word maybe to the husband's wives in the room? Just passionate discussions have you had? That's what we call them in my house. How many passionate discussions have you had where it seems your go-to solution is something you derive from your mind rather than to look and to see the gospel lived out in your midst? Do we live in such a way that our, our flesh is the driving force and we give the gospel a footnote? Do we live in such a way that our lives and actions are explainable by logical reason? Or by our hope and the truth of the good news of Jesus. Does your do your family does your family or do your friends hear you speak the hope and the truth of the gospel out loud? Or is it just assumed? Because if it's just assumed, then it's closer to what? Being confused. Don't we see that in our culture today? Is there a confusion on what the gospel is, what it accomplishes, what it what it brings to light? And then the last one is, when the gospel is accepted, when the gospel is consumed, when the gospel is confused, then ultimately the gospel is lost. Now, not lost historically. It doesn't lessen the work that Jesus did, but lost in our midst. And I think the great danger for us is to live in that second point, that we don't want to be people that just assume the gospel of Jesus. If we live in gospel assumption, we will live in evangelistic negligence. We will. We will. And so something that's been on my heart as I've been preparing for this, and even last week, um, just convictionally, is we have to put in front of ourselves our own need for the gospel every single day. In fact, I've said this before, I'll say it again, when I look into the mirror every single morning you know, if I'm getting ready or brushing my teeth or or doing whatever, the person that I'm looking at is the person that first needs to hear the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ before anyone else hears it that day. And other people should, that person in the mirror should definitely hear it. And I have a tendency to move on from that to the rest of my to-do list, to the rest of my Bible reading, to the rest of, you know, my my travel or the podcast that I'm listening to, and, and to not put it right in front of my face. And I bet I'm not the only one in the room. No show of hands. But I bet it's easy for us to assume the gospel more than it is to announce it, even in our own lives. And so something that I'm just inviting us into today as a practice is to put it in front of us. Now, there's a, there's a book. It's an older book. It's been republished dozens of times. It's called Valley of Vision. Anybody ever heard of that? It's a collection of puritan prayers um, and, and really recitations. And we're going to do something today that's a little out of our comfort zone, a little awkward. Um, something we don't do in this church context very much, but we're gonna do it today. We sang earlier and we had the beauty of musical accompaniment, and they were great. Worship this morning was incredible. But we're gonna sing again without well, we're not really gonna sing. We're gonna speak in unison. We're gonna confess in unison together uh, something. Not with music, but with still lifting our voices through a spoken prayer and confession. Now, this is an old uh, um, I got this from Banner of Truth website. Uh, It's an old kind of Puritan prayer to just remind us of our gospel centrality, and it's called O Thou Most High. Now, I'm going to try to get out of the way so everybody can see the screen. We're going to have four slides here, so we'll go kind of slow, but here's what I'm going to ask you to do with me today. I'm going to start by saying the title, O Thou Most High, and on my speaking of that, I just want to ask you to join in with me, and we're going to recite this whole screen. There will be four of them. Together as a way to practice putting the gospel in front of us. You with me? So this is like responsive reading, but there's no speaker part. All part. It's just all of the all. Got it? Cool. O oh, thou most high, creator of the ends of the earth, governor of all, of the universe, judge of all men, head of the church, savior of sinners. Thy greatness is unsearchable. Thy goodness infinite thy compassions unfailing, thy providence boundless, thy mercies ever new. We bless thee for the words of salvation. How important, suitable, and encouraging are the doctrines, promises, and invitations of the gospel of peace. We are lost, but in it thou hast presented to us a full, free, and eternal salvation. We are weak, but here we learn that help is found in the one that is mighty. We are poor, but in him we discover unsearchable riches. We are blind, but we find that he has treasures of wisdom and knowledge, and we thank thee for thy unspeakable gift. Thy son is our only refuge, foundation, hope, and confidence. We depend upon his death, rest in his righteousness, desire to bear his image. May his glory fill our minds. His love reign in our affections. His cross inflame us with ardor. Let us as Christians fill our various situations in life, escape the snares to which they expose us, Discharge the duties that arise from our circumstances, enjoy with moderation their advantages, improve with diligence their usefulness, and may every place and company we are in be benefited by us. What a great proclamation of our need and hope in Christ. That's texted with some of the guys last night. That phrase, we depend on his death, we rest in his righteousness. We may His glory fill our minds, His love reign in our affections, and then the last: May every place we we and company we are in be benefited by us, not because of us, but why? Because of the hope of the gospel that's in us. Now, I just want to say there are tons of opportunities to put things like this in front of you every day. Go to the next slide. Here are some places that you might even want to take a photo of. I'll get out of the way again uh, of some resources. One's the book Valley of Vision, Banner of Truth. So a website you can Google it. Every mobile, ho- ho- every moment holy is a is a group of liturgies in everyday life. He reads truth, she reads truth. There are tons of podcasts. I listed three: Solid Joys, Gospel and Life, and In the Lord I Take Refuge. As a journey through the Psalms, um, there are Instagram and social media accounts that will put the gospel in front of you. Okay, now don't get lost in your algorithm there. Um, personal reading plans, and then even relational accountability to just say, hey, I want to I want to be held accountable to put the gospel in front of us. Now, I wanna, I, we've talked a lot about things here like um, gospel fluency, like speaking the gospel in everyday life. You know, that's a recommended resource. Um, that's a book. It doesn't really come up really well. But speaking the truth of Jesus in everyday life, that stuff is, is great. We want to continue to do that. But I want to give you some models uh, as we kind of bring this home in the next, in the next 10 minutes. One it, it is a, a book, but it's also kind of a movement, and it's called The Art of Neighboring. The Art of Neighboring. And the Art of Neighboring came out a number of years ago, and it gave like a kind of a new approach to radical hospitality in your own home. As you can see, this is a, looks like a bit of a, of a tic-tac-toe board, right? House in the middle, and then there's eight squares around it, nine squares total. Um, go to the next slide. I want to give you some of the, the, you know, look into this model of what it means to neighbor well. Totally check out, Google this, check out their website. It's got some incredible resources on it, but, but essentially it says this. If you were to be the middle house and you were to take the eight houses around you. So for me, it's the houses that touch our yard, next door neighbor, left and right, backyard, everything that would touch our yard, okay? And then right across the street, one, two, three. Does that make sense? So my house, one, two, three, one, two, one, two, three behind. Here's a great start for are we neighboring well as a follower of Jesus? One, can you name the names of all your neighbors? Just the ones that touch your yard. And, the, and if, you're, if, you're, if you think you're getting out on this because you live in an apartment complex, all right, like maybe it's the apartment's above you, the apartment's below you. Okay, you just, just twist it on its side. Can you start with that? Well, if, if, you know, if we really, like if, what if Jesus, when he told us to love our neighbors, men are actual neighbors. Are we doing that well? When we aim for everything, you know, and it's like, well, Andrew, everyone's my neighbor. Well, listen, okay. When we aim for everything, we hit nothing. So when we insist that we're neighbors with everybody, sometimes we might become na- neighbors of nobody. And I'm guilty of that. What are the names of your neighbors? Not, oh, that's the guy with the dog, you know, or he drives the red guy. What, what are their names? A second layer to gospel intentionality. What can you tell me about them? What can you, what can, what do you know about them? You know, like where they work, their kids play little league, you know, what, what they do for fun. That guy builds cars in his garage. You know, like, what, what can you tell me about them? And then the third would be like a depth of information. So basic level factual stuff and then a depth of information. Essentially this, you know enough about your neighbors to know when to celebrate with them or when to grieve with them. You know when to give them a high five or to give them a hug, right? That's just the starting point on what it means to neighbor really well and to follow the command of treating our neighbors in the same way that we would treat ourselves. And I want to put some things in front of you with that. Our ultimate motive is not, our, 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 we don't have an ulterior motive for our neighbors to know Jesus. We have an ultimate motive for our neighbors to know Jesus. There's a difference between ultimate motives and an ulterior motives. are this. An ultimate motive is that they might see the beauty of the gospel and how we sacrificially love them. An ulterior motive is we see them saved and we move on to somebody else or we see them reject and we're like, well, we tried and we move on to somebody else. Ultimate love is you keep loving and you keep serving and you keep sacrificing and you keep sharing and you keep inviting. That you might have a lifelong friend. I said this last week. Jesus was referred to not as the user of sinners, but the friend of sinners. Might we be the same? One of the ways that, that I would love in my family's life to live this out, is, and I'm going to have to skip over some models today just in the interest of time, but we can put them out for you maybe through email or whatnot, is a model called BLESS a model that I would invite you into, a model called BLESS. It's real easy. If you've not learned anything about Christianity in your life, you should learn that we love acrostics. <laughs> okay? We absolutely love acrostics, whether it's WWJD or pray until something happens or, you know, he would love first. We love them, all right? And so this one is the word BLESS, and, and and it starts with this. Just begin with prayer. When it comes to your evangelistic efforts, begin with prayer. That seems obvious, right? But seriously, who are you praying about having an understanding to bless with the truth of the gospel or pray, Lord, I don't know who you've got in my way today. I don't know who you've got in my path, but begin with prayer. The second would be to listen. And this is two parts. One, listen to the Holy Spirit, right? It's both listening to the Holy Spirit and listening with the Holy Spirit. Now, listening to the Holy Spirit is hearing him direct you. Listening with the Holy Spirit is listening to another human through your Holy Spirit ears of how might the Lord invite me into engage in this relationship or in this opportunity. The third one, one I personally love, eat. <laughs> that seems obvious, but do you want to know why that's on there? Because you do it 21 times a week. How often do you do it missionally? How often do you do it with somebody else inv- invited? You know, sometimes I we're trying to ball on a budget. It's like, okay, I'll pack my lunch up and, you know, kind of, you know, hit my 10 minute. What if, what if you, what if you redeemed your lunch hour or your dinner time or your breakfast time? What if instead of, you know, you hitting the McDonald's two for one app deal on breakfast sandwiches, you got one for the person at your work or you picked up something for, what if one out of 21 meals a week, you actually budgeted to maybe bless someone else Um, in the time that you eat together. Whether that's bringing them your leftovers a little bit extra so they don't steal it from the fridge at work, or maybe going out to eat and and you just sit around a table. Amazing things happen around a table with people. And it's not ironic that Jesus used the table as an imagery for what it means to be in communion with him that we practice every single week. The third or the fourth is slow down. Here's what every single person's out here is saying, when we start talking about living with a greater evangelism kind of effort, it's, I don't have time for that. I don't have time for that, Andrew. I don't have time for that. I got, we got ball practice this night. We got lessons. We got this and that. Listen, when it comes to following Jesus and when it comes to being on mission with him, it shouldn't be about additional. It should be about intentional. God doesn't want us he doesn't want to add. He wants to take what you're already doing and give it greater gospel intentionality. How you, how do you bless your, your, the team that your kids are on with Little League or volleyball or, or dance or whatever they happen to be doing. How do you come do that at work? How do you do that in your neighborhood? How do you have greater gospel intentionality? And one of the ways we do that is we slow down and we rest in the finished work of Jesus. That, that same thing that we, we spoke earlier, we, we rest in his righteousness. And then the last one is we share and serve. We look for opportunities to share and serve. This is just one There are literally probably a dozen acrostic-based evangelistic models. I'm not kidding. This is one that's really practical. Begin with prayer. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Listen to other people. Eat with people. Or you can edit that and just be intentional. Recreate with people. That ruins our word. B-L-R-S-S doesn't make as much sense, right? Slow down and share and serve. Richard, go, go ahead to the three circles. This is a, a something I actually saw it sitting in the back there. Almost every uh, young person that goes to, to crossings camps are trained in this. This is kind of a new model of, of how to walk someone through the gospel. It's, it starts with God's design. Our sin leads to brokenness. Brokenness leads to the need to repent and believe. We repent and believe what? The gospel. And the gospel re- recovers us, redeems us, so that we can now pursue rightly God's design. Trey, on staff with us here, it, it could teach this to anybody. And in fact, if you were to reach out and say, I'd love to learn more about three circles, you can totally do that. I don't know what model fits you. I don't know what's best. I heard a story this week of a, a college minister who has had decades of college ministry and seen hundreds of young people come to faith in Jesus. When asked what his evangelistic model was, he said, oh, I would just give college students a verse to read and say, what does this make you think about God? And would sit down and talk about it. It can be that simple. The question is not what model we will use. The question is, will you follow the command of Christ to go and tell how much he's done for you? Last week I mentioned, and we'll say this in closing, we, we talked about being people that come and see. But we're also people that go and tell. And as we come to the table, we take, eat, and remember what he's done. But we also take, eat, and participate with going and tell other people what he's done for us. And, and here's something that I'm just going to invite you into and ask and hope that happens in our midst. I hope that we are people that I know it's January. My wife gets on me for always thinking about the future too much. Like I talk right in my, our girls are 10 and almost nine. And I talk right now about them learning to drive. And they're like, what? You know, like they freak out. I could never drive. You know, I live too far in the future for my own good. And sometimes I can do that to a fault. I know it's January, but I have a hope. We have a hope and an expectation that through when when January 2024 rolls around, that we have collections, we have archives of stories and testimonies about how God used you to be a a transforming force in the life of your friends, your neighbors, your family, those those that you happen to be around, those who the Holy Spirit might use, that God used you. And one of the things we want to do, we use this screen a lot behind us for for different teaching aids and whatnot, but we would love to to make videos. We'd love to bring our podcast back and feature stories of, of everyday faithfulness and everyday discipleship to encourage and stir one another up what it means to follow Jesus and what it means to, to be people that are on mission together. We hope that. We hope that we have a testimony of what it means to come and see here. But we also hope that we have we have fruitfulness from what it means to be people that go and tell. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the work you did in this man in Mark chapter 5. But thank you for the parallel imagery it is for the work you've done in me, for the work you do in us, that you found us, you saw us in our greatest need, and you saved us through the redemptive work on the cross and in your victory over death and the grave. Lord, I pray that, that you birth in our hearts like a, a, a desire to maybe neighbor more intentionally, um, a desire to to bless people or um, to, to take some evangelistic model or method and, and just start to prayerfully put it into practice in our life. Lord, I pray that you just uh, remind us of the role that we get to play in the redemption of the world that you've designed. You don't need us, but you've you've won us. You desire us um, that, that the world might know who you are through how we live. God, I pray that first and foremost, you give us just a greater gospel centrality. Put, it, put our need for Jesus right in front of us every single day. It's in your word and in your hope and in your work that we pray. Amen.